welcome. Hey, how are you? Alex, how are you? Oh, doing fine. Doing fine. Um, you? Not too bad. It's excellent. For hearing you, and I just guessed that the question was, how are you? Uh, I wonder, let me ask in the chat if everyone else can hear okay. Yeah, I think, I think I'm fine. I hope I am. Okay, that's good. Must be on my end. Probably. But I think, I think no problem. You sound slightly like a robot, but we can, we can deal with that. That's because I am a robot. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean slightly? Uh, okay, so... Um, uh, I will start as usual in a couple of minutes. Uh, let's, uh, you know, uh, give a chance for more people to join, even though um, considering the Thanksgiving, the World Cup, and all of the rest of the world's events today combined, uh, probably a lot of people are busy with their own lives. Uh, but uh, whoever is here, thank you very much for being here. And uh, we are going to talk today about uh, the usual uh, privacy uh, in general, beam development. Um, I also want to discuss uh, this idea that was um, kind of uh, raised on the forum about creating a messenger function inside beam wallet. Um, and there was uh, quite a lot of discussion about it. Uh, you know, some people are for it and some people are against, and we will kind of discuss both to see what we can do. Um, yeah, so that's that's the plan. So, um, yeah, let's get started. A lot to cover, and, and I think there's some very interesting discussions, both like uh, on the for side and against side for the messenger. Totally, totally. But let's start with the um, kind of general situation around privacy these days. As you know, uh, a lot of services are starting to add all kinds of... Um, uh, very problematic, I would say, um, features, improvements, and uh, additions, such as uh, uh, collecting user data. This comes from consensus, from Infura specifically, and as you know, a lot of services work with Infura, uh, MetaMask, obviously, and uh, even our own atomic swaps. So this is a big deal, and it was tweeted and retweeted by both like uh, the to general and BIM community specifically. And um, it, it's, it's troubling, in my opinion. It's very troubling um, because, you know, like this data was never really private, but when you have basically, you know, you're giving a permission by using their service to not only collect it, but also sell it to third parties and, you know, do whatever they, they want with it, uh, I think it's not a good development. Um, I think even, even uh, like the, I saw this video from Edward Snowden talking about this, how crypto is going in the right, wrong direction with all of this. Uh, instead of being decentralized, uh, we have more and more reliance on centralized services that can actually do all of these things, such as collect data, etc. And also we see a wave of new kind of KYC requirements from various services, including Uniswap, right, I heard, or, or at least we're talking about it. I don't know if they're actually doing it. Yeah, I believe that they were talking about KYC. Yeah. So 
you know, this is uh, uh, obviously a problem for a service that's supposed to be decentralized, I would say. Um, not to mention the fact that when you are centralized front-end for a decentralized service, you're also at risk of leaking a lot of data, IP addresses and such. Um, we are always kind of trying to do this in a, as decentralized way as possible. That's why we provide all kinds of options to install applications locally in your wallet and to use them directly from the wallet without going to any website. And in my opinion, one of the trends that you know people who are actually interested in decentralization, proper decentralization, uh, are going to realize that this is the way to go, that you need to provide um, completely locally installed services that do not rely on uh, just working from the web or getting all of from centralized service providers or RPC providers. Um, now for Ethereum, it's a problem because it's very difficult to run your own node. You need, I mean, it's not that difficult, but it's, it's consuming, right? You need a very uh, like powerful machine with a lot of storage. I think it's over a terabyte just to download the blockchain and you know run on client. Uh, so not everyone obviously can do that, but uh, uh, otherwise you are actually relying on somebody providing these services for you. So it's a problem. And and one thing that I that I feel like is that given that like decentralization of, of everything makes it a little bit less kind of ideal on a usability front in some cases or just making things easy. So if there's any chance that it will kind of divert or head towards the centralized solutions, it will happen. So so this needs to be, and I don't think it's really been uh, like front and center as of yet. In Beam's case, we've been building it this way, but a lot of these projects are kind of just going with the flow and building something and then the issue comes and, and something gets centralized. Then it creates, obviously, issues in terms of censorship resistance and, and this kind of stuff or regulators are forcing them to do KYC and, and AML stuff. Uh, whereas if you've built with decentralization kind of as the backbone and, and everything you did was to ensure this, it would be, at least in my opinion, a lot better kind of uh, a lot better environment at the moment, and we wouldn't be seeing so much of this weirdness coming in from from projects and regulators and this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and also it's a process; it's an ongoing process. It's not something that happens overnight because um, when there is a demand uh, for a certain level of security, of you know. Uh, eventually these things kind of, you know, they start obviously with the more kind of technical people, people who are more specifically, if we're talking about privacy, concerned or like uh, of all of these issues. But uh, little by little, we, we get kind of trickling down effect from these features also going into uh, kind of mass, uh, mass, for example, end-to-end -end encryption in chats. It's something that, yeah, we, we, we can still criticize it, some of it, but uh, at least now there is no such thing that, you know, a respectable messaging application at least does not say that it has end-to-end -end encryption, right? So it, it kind of became a default feature. That was not the case several years ago. So we do need to continue our important job uh, in both building these solutions and promoting them heavily. 
uh, and readiness. And this is what I see as kind of one of the missions of BIM project, in addition to building the blockchain and building the uh, tools and the environments around it, but also to kind of make people understand in any way possible through, you know, social media or whatever, that it's not only about people who have something to hide, which is one of the most abused arguments uh, we see, you know, happening all over the place. Like the fact that you don't have anything to hide doesn't mean that anyone should just be able to see and know everything about you. That's absolutely uh, nonsensical. Exactly. And I, and I saw something, I think it was uh, in relation to this stuff, the Infura and, and Uniswap and this, and they said like, yeah, we are storing temporarily IP addresses and this kind of stuff, but we're not using them. So we will stop doing that. And it's like, okay, but if you're not using it, <clears throat> if you're not using it now, it doesn't mean that you wouldn't be using it in the future or that that kind of data would be uh, kind of asked for politely, of course, by by certain <laughs> three-letter agencies or whatever, and, and you'd be having to, to give this info up. Yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, it's not like, uh, you know, uh, it's not the first time that uh, we are in, in this situation. This, it happens like all the time, but also... Uh, people who are um, kind of lucky enough or like fortunate enough to be living in more kind of civilized, uh, democratic or, you know, advanced countries and parts of the world uh, should not forget that there are other places on this planet, unfortunately, which are not exactly in the same, uh, I would say, uh, you know, uh, level of personal security in general and, you know, uh, human rights uh, wise. Uh, and in these places, these leaks or this data that is collected and then either sold or, or requested or in any way, uh, you know, abused, uh, can lead to severe personal harm for, for, for these people. So it's not like, you know, it's, it's not just, oh, somebody knows my balance on Ethereum. It's like you can actually go to jail or be killed or whatever. Uh, we have a speaker request from Harsh. Would you please allow Mr. Harsh to speak? Have approved it. Harsh, you may need to unmute yourself. Yes, please. Hello, hello. Hi. Hey. So, first of all, I just wanted to ask, uh, Beam also uses AWS, right, in some certain capacity, as far as I know, uh, to serve the WASM files, uh, at least of the contracts on the user end. Mm. Yeah, so let me... Uh, let me outline how this works like uh, uh, on Beam. First of all, Beam has three parts, essentially. You have the Beam nodes, the Beam wallet, and you have the decentralized applications. The decentralized applications are usually uh, combined of two parts. One is deployed directly to the blockchain, but the other one is this front-end um, module, which is integrated with the wallet, and it provides to uh, the smart contract that's deployed on-chain. So. In terms of both node and the wallet, um, the safest way is to get the code and build the code yourself. The second safest is to rely on the binaries that we provide as, as BIM uh, organization that are signed with our uh, certificates and our keys. Obviously download them from you know, the website, official website, and always check this security SHA uh, hash that we attach. This is like, like the second way, and always everything else is kind of much, much, much less safe. Now, 
about the uh, application files. Right now, we have kind of two um, main, like we have three main, main ways to use these files, like the, the applications themselves. The first one is what happens when you just open the wallet and you go to the Dub Store. Um, it's like this list of applications that we currently provide from our store. So this specific list of applications is uh, served by a server, a centralized server running on uh, Amazon. And the files that are downloaded are indeed downloaded from Amazon. So yes, in this in this specific scenario, you get the file from like the location where we put it. However, uh, the application file does not have access to your in-wallet data design, and uh, you can like as leak information. For example, if you uh, can, for example, if you open a file which was compromised, it can connect to a centralized server and leak your IP. That that can happen. But it cannot in any way spend your funds with your permission, even know your balance or know anything about your transaction history. So this is kind of the current state of security of these uh, applications. The second way to install an application is to just get the file from an external location, can be from, from anywhere, and install it as a local file. So we have this local archive. Uh, which contains all of the uh, files needed to run the application inside the wallet, and then you just click uh, install like open file in the wallet, and it installs locally. And the third way is to use our decentralized app store, which means that you find some uh, publisher's uh, public key, you add it to the um, to the kind of uh, publisher list that you have in your in your wallet, and then you can with the applications that were provided by this publisher. Now. This is definitely much riskier because you don't know like who is this publisher is necessarily. Uh, but once again, like the file cannot be replaced because the hash of the file is stored in the smart contract. So at least you know it's the same file that was published. And other than that, uh, once again, it cannot access your funds. It cannot access your uh, your data in the wallet. It can only do things from now on. Like you, if it. Uh, makes you do some transaction and to send funds to some place that you think is safe, but it's not, uh, then obviously you can lose your money. Uh, yes, but uh, what I was asking is uh, there uh, can be a, a decentralized way to do this, right? Uh, if you try, uh, as you have mentioned before, that Vasa missed out from uh, AWS, the client side one. So mm -hmm. uh, can't you use IPFS for that, for, for the same, like uh, for IPFS too? data leakage because what i'm saying is uh the beam team or anyone that has access to those aws knows that i use this specific dap uh at this time because of the leakage uh, of my ip right uh who use the particular app they can uh, get information around it and if sometimes some legal actions are taken against aws or any inquiry goes against aws they will be more than happy to release those information to public those uh in which this time frame this this ip had access uh, this dap at that time yeah I agree. Yes, I totally agree. You, you can like, I can write it down and open a feature request myself to move all of the existing applications to IPFS, just like the uh, you know the centralized app store runs over IPFS and not over Amazon. We just can move everything there, and it will be it will be fine. I totally agree with you. Great remark. Uh, sure.
Okay. Um, so it's it's a great quest. We will we will uh, capture it. And also, I had this idea. Every once in a while, I see people running uh, writing in the forum, in the forum, sorry, in the chat, in the uh, Telegram, in the community group, and uh, throwing like all, all kinds of ideas that get sometimes lost in uh, you know the, the ongoing conversation because it's very difficult to to find it. Uh, so what I would suggest is, if you're writing some idea that you have, doesn't matter like you know what, but you, you have this uh, feature request or a thought or an improvement, just is something like feature uh, or like uh, you know let, let's find this kind of one word that uh, uh, we can use both on Twitter if you want to tweet about it or on Telegram. And then it will be much easier for us to just go over the chat, look for this hashtag, and uh, detect it instead of just going over like all of the conversations because some start with some idea and then there's a discussion about it, uh, and then somehow it gets lost in in all of the uh, you know additional kind of uh, discussions that are going on and we miss it, which is uh, uh, you know in my opinion uh, can be improved. Cool. We, and I wanted we to, just need to invent. Yeah. I wanted to back that up with like, uh, no idea is too simple. Like sometimes I think in crypto and, and in life in general, like even the most simplest of ideas are, are some of the best. So don't be worried that your idea is not super complex or, or whatever, because often those are just as vital as, as any other complex ideas. So. Yeah, totally. Uh, so speaking of those ideas, uh, one of the ideas that was uh, kind of floating around for a long time and now it uh, reappeared in the forum is the idea to uh, increase, uh, include some kind of a messenger inside the Beam wallet. This is one that's been brought up uh, many, many times. Well, not a huge amount of times, but it's often brought up like for years, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not a new one, but... It, so I think it's time we, we did something like that, and I'll tell you why. So first of all, uh, let me go over the technical uh, side of it, because I, I saw a lot of discussions of whether it will or will not clutter the blockchains, additional information, or how is it going to work. So actually, uh, the original suggestion uh, had it, I think, almost absolutely right in terms of like how this can be implemented fairly easily. And um, the way it's going to work, or the way it can work, is using the SBBS. So SBBS is a secure um, kind of messaging system built into the wallet that allows Beam wallets to exchange uh, information, which is encrypted. So first of all, um, it was used initially to create transactions for Mimblewimble. Since the transactions are interactive, we needed both sides to sign it before it can be sent to the blockchain. So both wallets had to receive this information. And SBBS was mostly used to uh, just exchange these two parts of the transaction between the sender and the receiver. However, later we saw that it, this uh, mechanism can be extended. So we used it to broadcast uh, our marketplaces, because the atomic swap and the asset swap marketplaces are using this very mechanism to broadcast offers, right? And in general, this mechanism can be extended to hold almost any information, except there are some interesting limitations, and I would like to kind of expand about that. 
So first of all, uh, the way it works is in order to avoid detection of the sending of the message, the wallet receives kind of pulls not all of the SBBS messages, but a large portion because this, it's, it's subdivided into a thousand channels. So when you are sending someone a key, a SBBS address, uh, which is a public key essentially, it also includes the number of the channel. And then the wallet pulls all of the messages from the channel and then it can only decrypt the messages that were uh, specifically encrypted for, for it, right? Why do we pull all of the messages? In order to avoid uh, the ability of someone to figure out the connection between the wallet by which messages are being pulled, right? So we just pull everything. Now, uh, it, it's a good solution, in my opinion. It's, it's a good and secure solution. Now. Additional problem is that obviously we do not want at, like in this implementation to store these messages indefinitely. And so SBBS messages by default, they are stored for I think about 12 hours. So after 12 hours, these messages just you know get thrown out of the server. And this is what kind of keeps like obviously blockchain, the SBBS, uh, so it doesn't require massive block space or any block space or anything like this, right? It's, it has absolutely no relation to the blockchain whatsoever uh, on purpose, because as you know, in, in B, we do not store any addresses uh, you know, on, on the blockchain. Uh, and when we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, Mimble Wimble and Lantus transactions, specifically, because if you're using a smart contract, there is some address there. We're, we're, when we're talking about transactions, uh, no, no information uh, about your identity is stored there. And SBBS is completely disconnected from the blockchain, both in terms of the storage and, you know, the usage. It doesn't cost you fee in Beam. It doesn't cost you anything. And this brings us to another problem, which means that, okay, when we're using SBBS just to create transactions, it's fine. But when we're going to use SBBS for additional things like messaging, so obviously it's more traffic and uh, it will require some kind of, um, you know, incentive scheme, which can be very beneficial to uh, you know, encourage users to run these servers. Right now, most of these servers are run either within our wallets or uh, the bootstrap nodes or public nodes provided by several organizations. But um, when we, uh, you know, add more and more functionality, it would be very you know, helpful, in my opinion, to have some kind of incentivization scheme. And we're thinking about how we can implement that. Um, so basically what we can do right now, uh, without going into flash, you know, crazy development, and this uh, brings us to the, some people that are opposed to this idea saying that, listen, BIM is not a messenger company. Uh, it's not our core business, which it obviously isn't. Uh, and, uh, even though it might sound like a great idea, why waste resources and why waste time on developing something that will definitely not be able to compete with, uh, I don't know, Signal or Telegram or messengers that are uh, established, high scale and created solely for this purpose. Now, I think that uh, we can do something kind of um, in between. We can do something minimal. We can implement a small chat feature <clears throat> within the wallet that will enable you to do several things. First of all, to communicate directly, let's say with the other side of the swap, uh, if it's an asset swap or an atomic swap. Uh, 
You you also will be able to send messages between the wallets of like people you know something you know fairly minimal. Uh, obviously, not send large files or files at all. Uh, not animated stickers in the first version and things like that. Uh, however, you will be sure that first of all your uh, messages are encrypted, your identity is safe, the messages are self-destructing after 12 hours. Uh, we do have ability to store permanent SBBS addresses that never expire, uh, which means that you can create this address and send it to a few friends, and now you will be able to chat with them. And we also have bunts, which uh, we can use for this purpose, so that when you send a message to beamctl.beam, uh, it will reach my wallet wherever I am, because I own like this band's address with, uh, with my private key. That's cool. Uh, and I think this is kind of a cool use case as well, like being able to message people and then, then pick it up later. So how would, it, how would it work with the bands in terms of like being, sorry, using the SBBS, but not being on chain? Yeah, so this is, this is a great, uh, this, this is a great point. So first of all, um, there are several types of solutions, but uh, I think that one of the simplest solutions is to have some kind of caching servers that like, first of all, if you're online within 12 hours, obviously we'll get the message, right? Yeah. Uh, if you are not online within 12 hours, the message will be lost if you only send it as SBBS, unless uh, there is some kind of um, you know, centralized or decentralized subnetwork of servers that are configured to store this information for longer for, let's say, this specific set of channels or you know, depending on how we implement this. And this goes back to one of the things you mentioned, I think it was on the forum about, or maybe I, maybe I mentioned it via you in the newsletter, about how to incentivize the SBBS nodes specifically for a messenger and, and for other things. Yeah, totally. Now, uh, once again, it it, um, it very much depends on how we uh, specify this feature. You know, in, in this first version, like we, we we need to think about the product specs, uh, and this is where I really invite everyone to participate and post some ideas. Uh, and some kind of you know preliminary screenshots that I have created very crudely, uh, just to illustrate how this might look in the first version. And uh, yeah, there might be uh, limitations. So I, we need to decide whether how critical it is, right? If you message someone, how long it should be stored. Uh, and yeah, we are not competing with Telegram here. Uh, Telegram in this specific. Kind of case is amazing. You can send a hundred megabyte file, and it will just you know wait for you there forever, uh, which is kind of cool. But uh, that's not the point, right? That's not that's not our goal. Our goal is to create something relatively simple, and then see how whether it's useful at all, how many people use it, and how it can be expanded. Uh, we do have IPFS integration, so we can use IPFS for some of these services. Uh, we can use some creative ways of uh, kind of retrying and rebroadcasting the messages. Um, once again, it will require the users being online within the self same 24 hours, but uh, uh, that's usually the case. Like, in, I, like when you communicate with people often, 
you know, you, you do catch them within a day or two, right? So it, that, that's usually how it works, unless it's somebody who is on vacation and, you know, you can use email. It's okay. So it's not, it doesn't need to cover all of the cases that uh, uh, are currently covered by medium of communication. Absolutely. And, and like, I want to stress that it's not a commitment, like creating an MVP or, or something like this is not a commitment to uh, going like a full messenger out and this kind of stuff. We do have a we do have a couple of questions in the chat or in a couple of chats. One is from Joe S and he says, sorry, I'm, (laughs) I'm puffing because I just ran down the stairs and ran back up. Uh, Joe S has a question after twice each will destruct. Could you elaborate on the meaning of self-destruct? Yes. So, uh, Okay, so first of all, uh, okay, I'm just thinking how, how to, to, to you know, express this best. Um, obviously, anyone can record these messages, right? So basically, when you send an SBBS message, it can be stored by a third party forever. You can create a node, customize it a little bit, and just get all of the messages and record them in the database. However, for the entire system right now, mostly in order to preserve space uh, on your node, and since initially these messages only had transient meaning, you only needed them to create a transaction or broadcast an offer, which will by any way expire after some you know, amount of hours, uh, the node, the standard node, just forgets about these messages and discards them and deletes them. That's what it means to that the message is self-destructing. So it's not like anything, you know, we, uh, crazy. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't go into the message receiver's brains and and kind of delete the message from their memory either, would it? Probably not. Probably <laughs> no. not. But... So like the the <laughs> the closest thing I can find or the closest like comparison I can think of is Snapchat, whereas like you get a message or a picture or whatever and then it kind of deletes itself and you can't see it again. But obviously you can take a screenshot and this kind of thing and, and maybe it's still on the uh Snapchat servers themselves, but you can't access it from your it's... device kind of thing. Yeah, it's definitely on the Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have um, a they have a bank of yeah. of snaps that they're waiting to. to yeah, use. because like uh, unless unless they don't, right? So they they can uh, delete uh, this communication. But I mean that we don't know, we, and we have no absolutely no me no um, uh, kind of uh, way of checking that. And even when you have this kind of right to be forgotten thing when you can demand that the organization deletes all of your data, right? There is this kind of, they have to provide now this button that says, forget about me, right? Uh, Even then you cannot really be sure 100% that there are no backups, probably there are backups. So the information is there somewhere, but from, look, as far as you're concerned, you will never see it again because you said, "Don't, don't show it to me. Yeah, exactly. One of this is one of the things that always concerns me with VPNs. Like, oh, we have a no logs policy. Okay, but obviously, y- you can say whatever you want, yeah. and, and it doesn't have yeah. to be true. We do have a couple of more questions that are coming through. In the chat. Uh, Harsh dropped out from speaker role, but he wanted to ask: Can we focus on, or rather, can you ask? Oh. 
can we make a standard for NFTs first before worrying about the messenger thing? Yes, uh, and it's it's important to uh, emphasize that the messenger thing does not come neither before nor uh, you know in, instead of anything we've been discussing and, and doing. So uh, let me just give you a brief status of what's going on right now with the things that are already in the works. And uh, uh, with the thing, I'm mostly interested in the you know, discussion uh, and kind of preparing the ground for, for a near future. But right now we have, as you know, uh, at least three applications that are kind of waiting to be finished, tested and released. Two of them, we already spoke a lot is the bridges and the decks. Both of them are in these final stages. And, you know, we just keep testing, keep finishing things. Um, mostly it's stuck on like really kind of technical DevOps issues and, and things like that. But both of them will be released uh, to the mainnet soon. The bridges are already on the DAPnet uh, and are waiting for the mainnet release. The DEX is not only yet, but it's being tested locally uh, with developers and on internal networks. So these things are happening. Uh, we're really pushing to to release them uh, as far as you know as fast as we can. We we really want them out uh, as quickly as possible, but you know without compromising the quality, obviously. Now, in addition to that, uh, we have this uh, yeah, which is the contract that allows you to create new types of assets. Uh, it's relatively simple to implement. Uh, right now, it's waiting to um, on an addition of um, a feature inside the wallet that allows you to list all of the assets, and it's already implemented. It's in the DAPnet re release candidate. Uh, it was actually I hoped it would be released today, but it's probably going to be early next week. It also includes one of the feature requests, uh, which was actually repeated today. Uh, about being able to disable scam assets, right? So you can just choose which assets you want to see and uh, or, or not to see inside your wallet and the uh, asset swap feature. So this is already implemented and waiting to be released to DAPnet as soon as possible and then tested by the community and us and then released to main. Now, in addition to that, we have an entire kind of scope of NFT gallery based features which right now uh, in the top priority, we have the airdrops that's been promised and then re-promised and then rediscussed. And now we're working on that and we're trying to, to complete it as quickly as possible. And also in addition to that, because we're touching this kind of this area to be able to set prices in, uh, in assets, which was another feature request from, from Raskul, if I'm not mistaken. So we will deliver these two and if you have like any additional feature requests from the gallery, now this is the time to kind of bundle all of them into one single release instead of just releasing and re-releasing every couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of on this topic. So this, all of these things are uh, in the works already. So I just wanted to say that when we're talking about other and new stuff, it, uh, uh, it's not like, you know, we got bored with the old ones, it's just, we're going to plan for the future and see what we can implement next. And uh, uh, once again, we prefer to do kind of several small things, proof of concept, small features, improvements, etc., and then see where it takes us. 
I, I have a couple of questions. Maybe this is getting off topic, but I have to specifically on the decks. <clears throat> if I understand right, the decks will be uh, very similar to Uni V2, right? Yes. Uh, and it will also have the, like, I don't know what to call them, the fee kind of assignments or the f- different fees for different polls even within the same peer kind of thing. Yeah. So initially, or like as as it is right now, uh, we were thinking about uh, a structure very similar to Uniswap, three pools with uh, different fees, uh, ranging from, uh, you know, if I remember correctly, like uh, 0.03%, 0.3%, and then 1%. Uh, however, somebody mentioned correctly that most of the assets on Beam Chain are, um, you know, hardly stable coins. Like they are pretty exotic, uh, as you would call them, uh, and uh, with very little liquidity. So maybe one percent is not even enough. So maybe we should provide kind of uh, lo- higher tier than one percent, which is very good remark in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean it's a very interesting like point of view. Uh, especially for anyone that's kind of been in a pool and suffered like impermanent loss to a to a large degree, and this is very common with on on Uni V two and and Uni V three is too difficult for me to even wrap my <laughs> head around. <laughs> but but it's very like uh, it's very disheartening to be a liquidity provider when you're getting a lot of like losses for the the assets that are kind of switching yeah. between each other. Yeah, so I, I definitely uh, I definitely support uh, the idea of uh, thinking about having a higher tier than 1%. However, uh, I didn't want, and I don't want now to have this option to set any fee you like kind of manually, because I believe uh, it, it might confuse people to have too many pairs with different percentages from different pools and different people, both in terms of spreading the liquidity. Uh, you know, you, you, you never, you, like, okay, somebody said like 3% and somebody said 4%, which pool should I, uh, you know, provide liquidity for? Uh, it, it becomes a little bit confusing. So we need to think about that. Um, this is also one of the topics that uh, is very important to uh, create on the forum or just, you know, put it in Telegram or Twitter with the hashtag so it doesn't disappear. Uh, because these discussions, they do not necessarily, you know, are not resolved in, in a single kind of, uh, uh, you know, day or, or an hour. Uh, sometimes we need more feedback. We need to hear this feedback, think about it, analyze things. So it's very important that if you have the suggestion and idea of this kind, please put it, either send it directly to me and I will put it on the forum or just put it on the forum yourself because the forum is much more um, useful and much easier uh, to find things and, you know, respond within context. So use it. Uh, it's a good tool. And I, I, I want to say this, especially with regards to the Messenger app, there's a, some very heated, not heated discussion, but some very, like, a uh, strong opinions with regards to the messenger app and it would be far more useful to the wider community and to the team and to to everyone essentially if you outlined like your reasoning for your concern 
uh, or your reasoning like for supporting it missing in the forum under the messenger the beam anonymous messenger post which I'm going to share in the chat at the moment yeah uh, by the way um, one thing that kind of um, would be interesting to discuss uh, completely off topic but uh, not exactly um, there is this kind of idea, like for example, when we're using our uh, high-frequency transactions, what we're basically doing, we are taking this mempool structure, right? And we treat it instead of just like a list of transactions from which you can choose, we treat it as a tree, right? So we, you can say, I want my transaction to come after this one specifically, and then whoever is joining in comes after me. Uh, and when the miner or the selects uh, a transaction, it actually selects like not a some specific set of the list, but rather a branch within a tree. So it has a fixed ordering. And you know that if your transaction went in, it went in in the order that you intended. And one of the things it has very kind of interesting impact on is MEV. And for those who are monitoring Ethereum, uh, MEV is one of the hottest topics there. And for a good reason, because after the merge, uh, first of all, the entire ecosystem of how the blocks are produced have changed. Uh, we have now have validators, and these validators, they have to get these blocks from somewhere. So this I, I'm not going into the, the details because it's long, but uh, it's a very interesting story in and of itself. But the MEV has become one of the key kind of topics um, for discussion in the Ethereum conferences and forums and uh, uh, in general. Um, so. This is something that I think we can talk about in the next space, for example, on whether this MEV is good, when is this good, and uh, whether we want to do something to prevent you know, some of it or all of it uh, on the probe in the future. I think it's very interesting to, to hear your opinions about uh, uh, what, like, what do you think about MEV and uh, how to treat it. It really is a, a fascinating topic, and, and like if you do dive in, and I highly like suggest that everyone does. Uh, have a look at the MEV space and Ethereum and, and this kind of thing. I like. What are you, What are your thoughts on MEV, uh, Romanov? Well, <laughs> um, so I, I think that mostly it's uh, harmful because it creates unfair advantages and. Uh, uh, in some cases, really hurts users. Um, so I understand this idea that when you have a um, pool that needs to be balanced, uh, obviously, you know, somebody needs to balance it and he needs to balance it like uh, as quickly as possible because this kind of moves the economy forward. However, I think that um, kind of attacks that use uh, front running, uh, sandwiches, all of these techniques that basically the miner or the validator controls how the block is and they can just, you know, take your transaction, put it whenever, where they want, just pay money for it, uh, and then front run you and back run you and uh, extract uh, profit uh, for, from your actions. And uh, uh, I think that's that's not good that it's happening. I think it's, uh, it's something that needs to be treated on protocol level and can be treated on protocol level, even though... Uh, specifically, Ethereum are doing you know, nothing about it, but uh, uh, I think it can be done. Like, I think it can be handled differently. That's my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I have 
I don't even have thoughts on MEV other than that it's incredibly fascinating and and that like it'll revert back to something that I'm always kind of saying at least to myself and in my own head that if there's any like value to be extracted in whichever way like possible it will be extracted and and the amount of eyes on crypto now from I mean, developers from uh, governments, from everyone. There's a lot of value on chain and there's a lot of people taking a look and, and seeing how they can kind of capture some of that value in whichever way possible. I know it sounds funny that we talk about MEV like right now, like I mentioned it, because I mean, come on, like re- release the decks and then you will have the chance to, to, to have MEV before you are going to avoid it. Um, you know, even even in terms of like privacy, uh, one of the questions that I'm always kind of interested in. Uh, you, you remember the story that recently, I think a couple, several days ago or something like that, uh, somebody who stole funds from somewhere, he started started dumping them regardless of the like the prices, commissions. He just started to uh, putting them into all kinds of pools. And then obviously this creates huge MEV opportunities, right? Because uh, V-bots just come and they say these, they see these kind of uh, uh, trades that ignore, uh, you know, all cautions and basic rules and they just can profit. Now, the question is, it's obviously stolen funds. Like when you are doing MEV on stolen funds, like does it make you an accomplice? A, a what? Or, or, or stealing from who, whoever stole is okay. I, like I'm always wondering how this is uh, dealt with. A lot of like uh, <laughs> a lot of like moral ambiguity. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like uh, yeah, yeah. And then it, and then it goes like, at least in my opinion, it goes a step further. And then it's like, if you're not like, I, maybe it's not necessarily MEV, but you're doing something that is extracting value in like a way that maybe <laughs> maybe because you have more knowledge or more information or whatever and then it's like is that also okay uh, it's better somebody stole a bag uh, a bag of cash and he's running and there is a cash falling from the bag like is it okay for you to pick it up like i don't know like i never been in this situation but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I saw a, a video on such like a one of the bank trucks had, like crashed on a highway or something and there was money all over the highway and, and people were picking it up. So exactly. I, mean, I assume that the bank stole a large amount of money in, in one form or another. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay, I see. I see how you explain this. <laughs> it's just basically restoring the balance of the universe, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's my uh, money in the first place. Yeah, I got you. And so, so I guess uh, to put this in perspective for Beam, when Beam launches, do you expect there to be some MEV with regards to the decks, for example, uh, uh, and this kind of thing? So, r- running, uh, you know, we need to have some traction and we have to need some liquidity. Uh, and once again, just like with anything else, if we have enough of those, then yes, somebody will actually run MEV bot. Uh, running MEV bots, uh, it's a costly and sophisticated operation, not necessarily simple. Uh, you know, you need to know what you're doing in some way or another. So I think we will not see it like initially, but yeah, like if, if, 
if there is traction and there is money, as you said, like if there is something to extract, it will be extracted. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So, do we have any other questions for, for for now? Just to make sure we're not missing. Let me ask in the chat quickly. Yeah. So just kind of to summarize um, in terms of the status. So yeah, for, for a long time, we've been talking about almost releasing several applications. And uh, this is kind of um, what takes most of our efforts these days uh, is finishing this uh, pipeline that we have right now of kind of at least like three or four applications that are almost ready and being tested for a long time. Uh, once we finish releasing that, uh, we will be in a completely different place. We will have DEX, we will have um, uh, like updated gallery, obviously. We will have uh, all of these like, applications that we promised. Um, and then we will start seeing like bridges, obviously. Like we will start promoting them. Once again, even though like specifically for bridges, for example, even though it's really we really try to make it as reliable as possible obviously it's going to be at least initially a very high risk operation so please like in general be be very cautious but uh, specifically with new applications and new features do not just run you know pouring all of your ethereum into beam uh, you know do it accurately and uh, and cautiously so there is always inherent risk to new things especially when there are bridges I hate bridges, but bridge, yeah. Bridge, bridges present like uh, an enormous attack vector. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bridges suck. Yeah. Uh, what do you, like a question on this front, how do you mm -hmm. see like the the bridge space? And this is, this is kind of a, a general question about crypto. Uh, how do you see... Like there's always been a lot of discussion about these like app chains or like like different chains creates worse composability and and all this kind of stuff. Do you see like a cross chain future with bridges being like the thing, or is it more like a multi chain future where each kind of chain is is at least more kind of uh, how to say like within itself and, and this kind of thing? So uh, I, I know for a fact that uh, there are projects that are doing this well within themselves, right? We, we see Polkadot, we see Cosmos, uh, and uh, within the project it's working because once again, you have some kind of a standard. A bridge, proper bridge requires uh, standardization. You cannot you know, have two completely separate chains created by completely different teams with different technologies and zero kind of coordination suddenly bridged in a, in a secure way. Um, so obviously to bridge in a decentralized way, you need to support some kind of client that understands what's happening on the other chain within your chain. Right? There's no way around it, especially if these chains have different you know, consensus mechanisms, different block times. Uh, it's very difficult to synchronize all because we have implemented uh, a decentralized bridge between Ethereum and Beam, but we didn't continue, uh, you know, didn't roll it out eventually. And instead, we uh, chose to start with centralized because 
the amount of different attack vectors there, uh, especially when you have like dispute and then dispute on dispute, uh, and then you need to unbind a lot of proof. So it, it basically can bring a lot of resources to that and uh, uh, not necessarily, you know, right wins. Maybe, you know, somebody can attack with a lot of money and just cause a lot of disputes and this whole system will be stuck. So that's why we didn't do that. But in, in general, uh, we'll, there are two ways that kind of I think will it will develop. First of all, um, we will see more kind of standardization, um, more agreement between projects on how to do things because, you know, uh, starting from 2017, there was an explosion of different projects, different blockchain, like everybody created a new blockchain of some kind. Uh, eventually, some of these solutions will be proven as better than others and adopted. And then they will be the basis for this new standard. So it happened to the internet, it happened to any major technology that has this network network effect. It's not necessarily going to be the best technology, but it's going to be the most accepted one uh, that can serve your needs, right? Uh, so, yeah. For sure. And and like this also brings a question, and not really brings into question, but kind of uh, emphasizes why, for example, at least, the like optimis optimism that's a very difficult word for me. Uh, where the optimism bridge, like the official bridge, to go back from optimism, I think, to Ethereum is like a seven-day period or something like that. Yes, yes, and because I, the, the, the idea of optimism is to use optimistic roll-ups, right? So basically, uh, you say, okay, it's fine unless somebody says it's not, and then you need to bring proofs. Uh, and uh, this is exactly why in optimistic rollups, uh, these times are usually very long because you be, need to be absolutely sure that no one, uh, you know, no, no one objects to your, to your uh, uh, transaction. Exactly. So that like uh, objection period is kind of similar. Uh, I, I haven't like worded this well, but kind of similar to how in proof of work if you're transferring like on chain from one proof of work network to another and the cost of the transaction versus the cost to like 51% attack it to roll that transaction back kind of thing would this no. be somewhat similar it's not, no it's not exactly the same because uh, in the proof of work design uh, every block uh, makes you kind of more certain and makes it more difficult to roll back history so let's say your transaction went in into block number one. And then in block number two and three and four, the more blocks uh, come after your transaction, the more your transaction is kind of difficult to, to roll back. Because in order to roll it back, you need to remind this entire chain of the blocks, starting with the block where your transaction went in and all the blocks after that. And which is why uh, kind of statistically it's considered safe, let's say in Bitcoin to wait for like six blocks, right, which is about an hour. Uh, and then it would be almost kind of infeasible to roll back uh, Bitcoin six blocks to attack and to steal your transaction and to cause double spend. Um, so in Beam, we have this uh, very kind of strict, um, I think it's one hour or something like that, uh, threshold where you can automatically like you cannot automatically roll uh, beyond this point right it's, it's called uh, a rolling checkpoint so 
It means that if somebody was powerful enough to cause the entire network to roll back over this threshold, uh, the nodes will just refuse to accept it. And then, you know, if it's actually true, the operators will need to manually update the node. So th this is kind of this protection mechanism against huge rollbacks. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. So in optimism, it's it's you know it's just optimism. That's that's exactly how it works. You send your transaction with zero kind of checks, uh, and you rely on someone being you know watching first of all actively, and in case you are pulling you know some kind of trick and uh, sending complete bullshit to say oh wait a second, where did that come from? Can you bring a proof? And this also relies on the ability to punish you. Uh, because, you know, if you're not punished, then you're not staking anything or whatever, then you will just, sense, you know, hoping that one time no one will watch and you will get your, your you know, your transaction passing through. Some kind of like a positive minor extractable value there, potentially. Yeah, but I mean, you need to stake something to be able to participate in this system because uh, yeah. you, you need to understand that if you are trying to be un, uh, uh, you know, untruthful, uh, it will cost you immediately. So yeah, this is an uh, important point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think there was like uh, one example of, of such, maybe not so recently, actually a, a month or a couple of months ago now. Yeah. Uh, so, so what do you think? When, when will the bear market be over? No, I'm kidding. That's... <laughs> oh, God. Any any second now. Any day now. <laughs> well, we are coming up to the final hour. Yeah. Uh, Many thanks for everyone joining us today. Really uh, great to, to be here with you. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next Thursdays. I look fine for now, I hope. Yeah. Thursdays are the new Sundays, unless we we change them. Uh, I want to I, I want to emphasize a, a point that Harsh made in the Telegram, and and he said thank you, Romanov, for coming every week and communicating, noting feedback, and discussing various things with the community. And like yeah. on on behalf of the community, a huge thank you. And and it's it's actually really fun for me, and and very cool to have every week some discussion, more discussion coming up around like being feature requests, which I think is one of the one of the coolest things we've done recently and and looking forward to many more in the future. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm sure that uh, Amir already reminded me in the chat to talk about documentation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't see the chat in front of me, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, I forgot to talk about it, but it's okay because on the next space, uh, first of all, I will complete uh, this first kind of cycle of tutorials that I've been doing uh, for for the last uh, uh, weeks or so, and uh, and then we will just you know cover this topic in much more detail, uh, developer documentation uh, and how to implement smart contracts. So we will talk about that as well next time. Yeah, and uh, have a great evening. Wicked, thank you so much, and also happy Thanksgiving to all of our American friends and, and that kind of thing. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.